What's up, church? Hey, we're grateful that you guys are here. If you're a first-time guest with us at Stone Point, as Pastor Archie uh, said earlier, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, this is week three of a series called Heaven, and uh, we have looked in uh, the last couple of weeks uh, over a couple of different things. The very first week, we looked at the kingdom of heaven, and we looked uh, at what the kingdom is going to look like. And I think oftentimes our goal as Christians is to go to heaven, right? But John says, really, that our goal shouldn't be uh, simply to go to heaven, but to be around when heaven comes to us. And so we see uh, Revelation 21 uh, says, as John says, the first heaven and the first earth is going to pass away. And so we know that there's a new heaven and a new earth that's coming. And that's the kingdom of God in all of its fulfillment. And so we talked about that in week one. If you uh, weren't here for that, or maybe uh, you're a little bit confused about all that looks like, we encourage you to go back, listen to it on our website. It's under the resource tab. You can look at sermon archives and check it out uh, because we're not going to touch on the kingdom of God all that much today. Uh, but last uh, time we got together, a couple of weeks ago in week two, we talked about the king uh, who inhabits uh, the heaven. And uh, he is the king of all that we need, and we talked about him and all of his splendor. And I think oftentimes we ask the question, what are we going to do in eternity? Like, aren't we going to get bored? I mean, if we have an eternity to do all those things, at what point do we just kind of check out? And one of the things that Paul says is that it's going to take us an eternity just to explore all the characteristics of God, that we have not seen God in all of his fullness yet, and that we cannot even grasp or even understand all the things that there are to know about God. And we're going to have an eternity to explore that. We're going to see uh, God face to face, and we're going to get to uh, enjoy his presence. There is no need for a temple in the new heaven and new earth because he's the all-consuming fire. He is the presence that we need. And so we talked about the king in week two, and today we're going to talk about us, you and me, the inhabitants of heaven. What are we going to do? Are we going to eat? Are we going to fly? Are we going to have wings? Are we uh, going to become angels? Are we, uh, what are we going to do? You know, uh, and I'm like, I think the question that I'm often uh, most intrigued by, even as I was eating my donuts this morning, are there going to be donuts in heaven? You know, is there going to be chocolate? Is there going to be food? And am I going to find my delight in those things? Am I going to know the people that have gone on before us? And so are we going to have conversations with people in heaven? And we're going to answer all those questions today. As a matter of fact, if we don't answer one of the questions that you have, I encourage you to come and uh, share it with me because I think uh, that the Bible probably does cover it. And if it doesn't cover it, then it's probably not that good of a question, okay? <laughs> Just kidding, okay? <laughs> Revelation chapter 22, starting... Uh, in verse 1, we're going to read five verses a day, but I'll just go ahead and tell you and forewarn you that it's a lot of information. I'm going to go really, 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 really fast, okay? Uh, because I want to make sure that we get through it in a timely fashion and that I cover it all. If you need to go back and hear it, uh, this will be up on our website, uh, most likely by this evening or first thing tomorrow. So you can go and listen to it, watch the video, uh, reread it. I'll even do you a favor, and I'm going to put all my notes up on the page for you to download them if you'd like, okay? Uh, and so we'll make sure that our team gets all of that. Did y'all hear that, guys? Make sure I do that. Um, verse 1, it says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every season, every month, and the leaves of the tree are there for the healing of the nations. Now you look at verse 1 and 2, and obviously John is explaining the best he can as far as what he sees of the new Jerusalem, the holy city, and which has come down out of the heavens. And 
you see that he goes, there's a water of life. It's as clear as crystal. It flows from the throne of God. And then he says, and there's a great street in the city. And so like you can just see these rich colors. You can see um, these physical properties that have to exist in heaven. And so that kind of goes back to what we talked about in week one, that heaven is an actual place. It's not just an ethereal thought process. It's not platonic thought. It's not that simply we exist uh, in the form of some spirit up there. We just float around and we have no concept of what's going on. It is a real place. There's a real person, a real king there, and there's going to be us. And we're obviously going to be able to have real bodies. And the reason we're going to have real bodies is because you look right here, you can almost see all of the senses that take place. I mean, think about it. Here it is. We're able to see. We're seeing the water of life. And as it flows down, I don't know about you, but I've never been to a stream that I couldn't hear. And so I, I look at it, and I see it in all its beauty, and then I hear it, and I can only imagine what it sounds like as I look, and on both sides is the tree of life. Now, I don't know if that's one tree, one big tree, and it just encompasses both sides, or if it happens to be an orchard of the tree of life. Like, there's an orchard of pecan trees, there's an orchard of elm trees, or peach trees, or oak trees. I don't know. But the bottom line is, as John says, that you see the tree of life, and it's on both sides of the river of life. And so you know that it's there, and then you see the streets that are encompassing the city, and then look at the tree of life. It bears 12 crops of fruit. And so here's the bottom line. Why would a tree produce fruit if you can't eat it? I'm just saying. You know what I mean? And so obviously there's fruit there for a reason. I think it's to be able to eat, okay? I think I can explain that in a little more detail as we go here in a little while. But the bottom line is we're going to have a new physical body. We're not just spirits floating around. You go, well, Brandon, where, where do you get that? I mean, because obviously if there are properties there that include sense, there is sight, there is sound, there is taste, there is touch, there is all of these things, then where are you getting the concept that you're going to have a physical body? Matter of fact, you just sang about it just then. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that he's coming again. Because we believe, as Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that we're going to be, what? Raised in Christ. And the dead in Christ, which once had a body that was perishable, will be raised with a body that's imperishable. Where do we get that from? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you don't have your Bible or you're not a very good flipper, you're kind of new to church, you're like, I don't even know where 1 Corinthians 15 is. That's cool. We're going to provide it for you up the screen. But look at the following verses. In verse 40, it says, as Paul writes, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. And so he goes, there are a clear-cut difference between the two. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star and splendor. So will it be when the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown as a natural body, but it's raised as a spiritual body. Do you see that? He goes, basically what's corruptible, what's weak, what's feeble will one day be made new. Once something that was going to be perishable, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church of Corinth in chapter 5, he says, hey, you and I have a tent. And this tent, this body is groaning every day, right? Like you got up this morning and you're feeling the groan, you know what I'm saying? Like right now, I've got this stuff going on in my chest, and I've got this water up here, and I'm like, I'm just hoping I can make it through the next service, and my body is groaning. Like there are some of you who got up this morning, and your body didn't groan the same way I did. You got out of bed, and it took you like 35 minutes just to kind of get yourself propped up, standing upright, you know? There are others of you that you stood before the mirror, and you were contemplating the person that you were, and you got overcome by the wrinkles that you were looking at on your face. 
But the bottom line is this, is your body, like mine, is what? It's perishable. It's going to fade away. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we have a tent that is a temporal place that is literally fading away, that is going out of style, that one day it is going to return to the dust in which it came from. But guess what? The promise is, is that one day Jesus Christ will return and that he's going to raise those who believe and have confessed with their heart, believe in their mouth in him. He's going to give them a new glorified body. And guess what? It is prepared for all things in heaven. All things. Sense, touch, all those things. And once was weak, once something that was feeble, once was natural, will be made supernatural. It'll be raised in power and glory and splendor. Verse 45 in 1 Corinthians 15 says, So it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Adam, his body failed. He, he ultimately brought in a curse, but he says, then you have the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the life-giving spirit. He's what changes. He's the game changer in all this. Verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and the second man is of heaven. And was of the, as of the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of a heavenly man. And so God is going to give us a new resurrected body, one in which is prepared for the eternal state, and it is going to encompass, as I believe, Revelation 22, 1 and 2 show us sight, sound, taste, touch, and we're going to be able to uh, be in a real place dealing with real things, and it's going to be a phenomenal thing. But not only that, Revelation chapter 7, 9, and 10, you see that we're going to sing. Uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 3 says that we're going to shout. We are going to worship the Lord when we're there too. And so we're not going to just have bodies simply for sight, sound, taste, and touch, but we're also going to worship, sing, shout. And we're also going to enjoy communion with others. And so the ultimate communion that you and I have is the communion that we experience with God through the person of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, that's why we were created in the first place. We were created to have a relationship with God. That's the idea of Genesis 1, 2, and three. The problem was, is the curse of man. We decided that we were going to do things our way, and so we separated ourselves from God because we desired to be our own God. Yes? And anytime that you wonder where sin comes from, it comes from a lack of self-control, or it comes from the need to be in charge of your own life. And that's what happened. And so it created this problem, but one day it's all going to be restored, and it's all restored through the person, the work, and the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ, in which we now have communion in heaven with God. And so you go, if I'm going to have communion with God, what need will I have for other people? We'll get to that in just a second. But the bottom line is, is this. I can tell you emphatically that you will be married in heaven, but you will not be married to the same person that you're married to today. Your only marriage in heaven is the marriage supper of the Lamb in which you and I are the bride of Christ and He is our bridegroom. Our marriage is to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Period. You go, well, where do you get that from? Well, I think that you see it in Hebrews chapter 12, 22, and 24. But I think Matthew chapter 22, Jesus really gives us a really, really good picture. In Matthew chapter 22, you see a couple of different parables that take place. But eventually, Jesus gets down to this last parable after the Pharisees had gone and come back. And one of the things that they did is they wanted to try to stump Jesus. And so they said, hey, Jesus, let me give you a hypothetical. Let me just kind of throw out something to you. And so in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 22, it says, The same day the, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. 
Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brothers must marry the widow and raise up the offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. And the same thing happened to the second and the third, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman dies. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Wow, that's a good question. And then Jesus says, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. And what is Jesus saying? Like, what did he say? He said, you basically have seven brothers, all of which passed down the wife to the other. And at the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus says, none of their wives. It's not about that because I am the bridegroom and you are the bride. I have redeemed you and heaven is made for a relationship with God. And so the reason that you and I eventually go to heaven, contrary to many of our our thoughts and notions, is not simply to go and commune with other people. I mean, so many of us, I think we've said it, and even I've been guilty of it myself. I can't wait to have conversations with my grandparents or some other people that have gone before me. I can't wait to be reunited with a couple of my friends and some of the people that I long to see again. But the bottom line is is that that's not going to be my heart's desire. My heart's desire is to be, what? Reunited with the God that I love and that has given his life for me. That is the purpose of heaven is so that we, what? Have a relationship in fullness with God. And so the question is, is will there be sex in heaven? Will there be procreation? Will there be additional children in heaven? The answer is no. Why would you need that? You have everything that your heart will ever desire in heaven, and it is made in the person in the form of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. You have all that you need. And so there's not going to be additional procreation. Matter of fact, in verse 30, it says at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. And so people go, well, what does that mean? And we're going to get to that a little bit more in just a second, but the bottom line is what it's talking about is this. The angelic realm was created before you and I were ever created, but there are not additions. They are not up there in the heavens having procreation. There are not more angels being born every day. Or as Clarence said in, the, in uh, A Wonderful Life, there are not more angels every day getting their wings. And so contrary to popular notion, that is not happening. And so we, too, will not have procreation in heaven. We If you didn't live on this earth, okay, then you won't live in heaven. Meaning, if you weren't born here, you won't be reborn there in the sense that there's procreation. Okay, so don't get too confused there. But the bottom line is, you go, we're going to commune with God. What else will we do? Well, I know that we're going to dine with others that we know. Matter of fact, if you remember... And maybe you don't, but there's the transfiguration. And Jesus took a few of his disciples up onto a mountain. He took uh, Peter, he took John, and he took a guy named James. And he went up to the mountain as a transfiguration where the heavens opened up and he saw God. And Jesus' face went bright and his whole body went basically white. And his robe went white, everything. And it was this amazing thing that happened among the disciples. And all of a sudden, God appears. And then you see Elijah. And you see, um, who else was it? Moses, thank you. It was Elijah and Moses. And so you have Elijah and Moses, and they're before God. And it's it's very interesting that you look at the disciples, and they know Elijah and Moses. 
And so do I believe wholeheartedly that you're going to know people before you? Yes, absolutely. Are you going to have conversations? Yes. Because why? We are going to live, eat, drink, and we're going to dine together. And it's going to be a celebratory thing, and it's going to be awesome. The main reason we're going to dine together is for the purposes of living with the Lord and living with other people. And it's going to be a phenomenal thing. You go, well, how do you know that you're going to eat? Well, the bottom line is, is everything that I get from Jesus at the Last Supper reminds me and tells me that we most likely are going to eat at some point. Matter of fact, the tree of life has fruit in every season. Of course we're going to eat. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 16 of the Last Supper, Jesus says... I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment of the kingdom of God. When is the kingdom of God coming? When the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. And then in verse 18, he says, I'll tell you, I'm not going to drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so obviously there's going to be a point in time at the wedding feast where we eat and we dine together. And so we are going to be able to eat. But here's the difference. We're not going to need to eat. Like there's no stress eating in heaven. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, first of all, you're not married to anybody, so there's no need for stress. Just saying, right? And so like, but the bottom line is like, you're not going to have a bad day up in heaven and then just decide, you know what? I'm going to binge on a thing of Oreos. You're not going to die in heaven because your bodies are glorified and they do not require food. There is nothing in heaven that entices you. There is not a pleasure there that is going to cause you to sin. And so just as you and I may sin over food or we may desire uh, lust or fornication or any other things, none of those things exist in heaven because there's a place without sin. And so we do know that there's going to be the ability to eat and dine together and we're going to enjoy so many great things, but we're not going to require them. And there's the difference. You don't require them to continue to maintain that glorified body. It maintains itself. Now, what's interesting is, if you remember, after the resurrection, even Jesus ate after his resurrection, and he's received a new glorified body. I'm interested to know more about the new glorified bodies, and I'm not going to get into it here because uh, I may think that it's a little more uh, interesting uh, than what it's going to look like. But the bottom line is, is in John 21, verse 12, Jesus says to his disciples, Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him who you are, but they knew that it was the Lord is what it said. But the bottom line, he invites them even in his glorified body to come and eat. And so it's very apparent that he can eat. The other thing is interesting, if you remember all the disciples were locked in a room, huddled together, and all of a sudden Jesus just kind of walked through the door. That's interesting. There's no telling what we're going to be able to do with the glorified body. And I think oftentimes we ask the question, what is going to be in heaven? And I think Randy Alcorn, the writer of heaven, he asked the question I heard in an interview a couple of weeks ago. He said, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking the question, what's going to be in heaven? Maybe we should start asking the question, what's not going to be in heaven? And the bottom line is we know that there's going to be no more sin, no more curse, no more of those things. Matter of fact, we're going to love fully, laugh richly, and we're going to enjoy eternity without curse. Okay? You go, without curse, what does that mean? Well, I don't know if you realize it, but when we separated ourselves from God because we chose to sin, back when Adam and Eve, the first Adam failed, there were several things that kind of went into motion. Number one, ladies, Genesis chapter 3 says that you would have childbearing pains. You're like, oftentimes, you're like, oh, yeah. And that's a product of the fall. And you can, you can do whatever you want. If you'd like, you can blame your husband and say it was Adam's fault. And as we look back at you, we'd say, uh-uh, it was Eve's fault. Well, the second curse is that you would always have a power struggle between man and woman. Matter of fact, if you look at our country today, 50% of all marriages end in divorce is the same way in the church. We have a 
cursed on our lives. There's a power struggle happening. It's not just childbearing pains. It's a power struggle. The third part of the curse was that work would be difficult and it would be hard. It would be toiling, laborsome, and it would not be fun. But guess what? Adam was created to work. He was created to rule over the world, created to rule over everything there was, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals, livestock, to give them names and to enjoy the work in the garden. It was an enjoyable thing. But now work is a curse, right? That's why you get up in the Monday morning and you look at your body, you see the wrinkles, you go, oh, my body is fading away. And then the next thing you say is, I I don't want to go to work today. I hate work. And that's why you don't like the person in the cubicle next to you. That's why there's strife and anger and bitterness. That's why you don't like your boss. That's why you don't like to toil and labor. That's why you don't like to do any of those things. It's a product of the curse. It's not just you, okay? It's the sin that's in our world, and that's the problem that we have. And the last one, the product of the curse, the fourth one, is that we're all going to die. Do you see that? But in heaven, we're going to live, laugh, we're going to love richly, we're going to love deeply, and get this, there is no more curse. And so if there is no more curse, then get this. There is no bickering between people. There is no more childbirthing pains because there is no childbirth. There is no more enmity between man and woman because our first love is Jesus Christ and we are the bride of the bridegroom, right? There is no more struggle uh, of death because all the old order of things has gone away. And guess what? We were designed to work and we're going to work in heaven, but it's going to be enjoyable and it's going to be a pleasure to do that. And it's no longer going to be a toiling, laborsome thing in which we get up and go, I'm tired of this. And so what you're going to see is all of heaven restored to its proper place. And that's what heaven is and that's what we're going to do. I love C.S. Lewis and the quote that he talked about on the reunion of the new Narnia. And we saw this uh, in Secret Church about a week and a half ago. As David Platt read this, I, I thought I have to use it. And so it says, And there was a greeting and kissing and handshaking and old jokes revived. And you have no idea how good an old joke sounds when you take it out again after a rest of five or six hundred years. You know, I'm like, man, I can use a good joke after just a week. You know, But can you imagine what it's going to be like? Now, with that, you're going to have a new glorified body. You're going to live, laugh, love richly. You're going to be united with God, and he's going to be the center of your attention, and you happen to be in the presence of many witnesses, a cloud of many witnesses in which you dine with and enjoy fellowship with, and you literally participate in knowing about God, learning about God, discovering more about God, all the while enjoying all of these things that God has for us on the new earth, and it's going to be fantastic. But the question is, is this, is that if that is true for us, then do we actually become angels when we die? And I, I want to just take a few moments and talk about this because it's a real confusion among the church and it's even a confusing thing among people. And so I just want to implore you that if you are at Stone Point Church, will you do me this favor? Never, ever, 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 ever again. Type on your Facebook page. Never say to anyone else that God has got a new uh, angel in heaven. And it, it just doesn't happen that way. And the reason why is because Clarence was wrong. Okay, There are not new angels every time. What? The bell rings. And the reason why is because all of the angelic realm was created before you and I were. And get this, we were created with some similarities, but with some distinct differences. Let me tell you the similarities. The similarities are that they were both that were both created by God. They were created by God. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 shows you that. They have intelligence, 2 Corinthians eleven three. They have emotion. Um, 
Revelation 12, 17, they have a will. They have a desire to do things, Jude 6. Um, they are meant to praise God, Luke 2, 13. They are meant to serve God, Revelation 22, 9. They work for his kingdom, Acts, 20, uh, Acts 8, 26. They know the scriptures, James 2, Revelation 12. You see that. Even now, every now and then, they'll even take on the personification of a human being uh, to accomplish the purposes and the will of God. Daniel tells us that. And so you see those different things about who... God has created the angelic beings to be. However, get this, they aren't humans. They are the angelic realm created to serve God, to love God, and to be his servants. And you go, that sounds a lot like us. Yes, but get this. What you see in Genesis 1:26 is that there is only one creation that God has ever established, and it's called the human race that was created in the image of God. You were created by design, of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made for the purposes of God. You are, yes, a servant of the Most High God if you know Him and abide in Him. But the bottom line is, never at any point will you become an angelic being. Matter of fact, you and I understand things about God that the angels still do not understand to this day. Matter of fact, you go, well, what do you mean? Well, let me read it to you. Uh, in First Peter chapter 1, um, if you remember, we talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, that you and I have an inheritance in Jesus Christ that never spoils or fade away, that's kept in heaven for you, right? And it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the power that he established. But get this, in verse 8 of that same chapter, that's 3 through 5, in that same chapter, verse 8, it says this, Though you've not seen him, speaking of Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time, the circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Do you see this? All the prophets of old are trying to understand salvation and grace. Like, listen to this. Like Adam, he never saw God face to face. John said no man's ever seen God face to face. And so I believe that even Adam in the garden never saw God in all his fullness. And let me explain something to you. There are some attributes about Adam that, uh, and his relationship to God that he never saw because if he would have saw them, I don't know that he would have chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, let me explain some of them to you. Like, God's perfect justice in his judgment, his propensity to hate sin and have a righteous anger towards sinful desires. Adam never saw those things. He never saw the need and the understanding of a grace until the fall occurred. And he didn't even understand that. And so you go, okay, awesome. Well, the prophets of old, they longed to see this, the things about the, the predicted suffering of the Messiah, the glories that will follow. And then verse 12, it says, And then it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. What are angels longing to look into? They're longing to look into salvation. They're longing to look into the grace and the mercy that's been bestowed upon the human race that's been created by the image of God. Like, get this. So you've never thought about this, have you? God created the angelic realm. And we know that Lucifer, was, Lucifer, because of his will, was deceived. And he took a third of heaven with him of the angelic realm. But do you realize that there's never a point in Scripture and there's never a point now that's been extended to them a time of grace in which those angels could have repented and been reconciled to God? Ever. 
Now, can you imagine being two-thirds of the angelic realm that's still in the heavenly places with God, serving Him, loving Him, and acting on behalf of God's people, the human race, and looking into this thing called salvation and wondering, why is it that God has not extended the same grace to us that He extends to these humans, which, by the way, are not faithful to God? And time and time and time again, they betray Him. Time and time again, they spit at Him, they reject Him, they've pierced Him, They've nailed him to the cross, and yet through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, they can be reconciled to God simply in belief and confession of Jesus Christ. Why would God do that for those people? And they cannot get their minds around the idea of grace. I don't think you and I fully understand grace because if we fully understood grace, it would be apparent to us that the church would look differently than it does today. So let me just pause real quick. If, if God has created you in, in the image of a holy God and he has given you an opportunity at repentance and forgiveness at grace, even though you were a sinner, Christ died for you, then let me ask you this. What would people... What would people say about you if they were to just characterize your life, your legacy, who you are in two words? What would they say? Like, what, if that's all they had to describe you, two words. They didn't get, they didn't get a uh, eulogy. They didn't get 45 minutes of your funeral. They didn't get to tell you about all these different things. They just got two words. How would they sum you up? Great businessman. Gossiper. Great teacher. Liar. Thief, backstabber, pursued riches, loved fame, egotistical, easily angered, a cheater, a lover, a fire. What about Christ's follower? And I think that's why the heavenly realms are so baffled. Like, how is it that God pursued you in your sin, offered an extended grace? And I think the most baffling thing, I can't prove it, but I would imagine the heavenly realms is this. God, how is it that you forgive such an adulterous people? How is it that you extend grace to them, and yet they don't quite understand this thing called grace and because it never really transforms or changes their life in any way? Like they just simply go, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I said this little prayer, and I think I'm good. And the bottom line is, is in the angelic realm, they're confused. And the reason they're confused is this, is did the cross mark you and did it change you? And if so, then why, do character, why are you characterizing a couple of words by other things other than the cross of Christ? By the gospel of which God has called you heavenward. Wow. So you're not going to become an angel. Matter of fact, that's my opinion, is the reason that Adam fell is because he never saw the things that you and I even know about God and his grace. But he longed to see them fulfilled in the second Adam because he knew that he failed and he was cursed by a tree. And what? We were cursed by that same tree, needed Jesus Christ to die on the tree so that one day we could enjoy the tree of life kept in heaven for us that will never spoil or fade. And even angels long to look into that. But you're not going to become an angel, so don't stick that on your Facebook page anytime soon, please. Okay? You don't even have to encourage me when I die to rest in peace, okay? Because I am at peace. Why? Because there is no more curse, and that is the greatest thing. Matter of fact, look at verse 3. 
in Revelation chapter 22. That took a while to cover one or two verses. I'll pick it up, okay? Here we go. Verse 3 says, There will no longer be any more curse. Like, that's the good news. Like, you mean to tell me there's no more enmity between man and woman? No more childbearing pains? No more death or, or old, uh, old things? No. John says the old order of things has passed away, so it's gone. Revelation 21 says all curses are gone. Why? Because there is no more sin. And where there is no sin, there is no curse. All curses that you experience on planet Earth today are a result of sin. You wonder why you're divorced or have experienced that before. You understand why we look at disease and sickness. You understand why there are people that are filling our hospitals and our prisons. All of it, all of it, all of it comes back to one thing, and it's sin. And all of what we're experiencing is a result of the curse. And the only way you're saved by the curse is by following Jesus Christ who took the curse for you. And so in heaven, all that's gone. Matter of fact, it goes on to say in verse 3, the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. There is no more separation. There's never a point where we're going to have to wonder, is God going to show up and kick us out of the new Garden of Eden? No, there's no more separation. You're never going to be driven out. Like, so you mean to tell me like, there's never a day that I'm going to be walking around trying to figure out the new heaven and the new earth, possibly going around trying to check out all this stuff, trying to discover the things of God and stumble across the tree of knowledge of good and evil and happen to somehow take a bite of this so-called apple that we have and maybe throw all the human race back into the same problem that we started. No. Why? Because there is no deceiver. There is no curse in heaven. And so you're not going to create the cycle again for all of you people who think you're more intelligent than you really are, okay? Verse 4, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, meaning you and I have all we need in Jesus Christ. You remember last week we have what? Right now just but a reflection of who God is. Like we look at the Grand Canyon and we're like, oh my gosh, God's biggest ditch on planet earth. It's fantastic. We go and we look at other places around the world. We go to the seven wonders of the world and we long to see those things. But guess what? That's nothing compared to what heaven is going to be. And better yet, we're going to see his face and we are going to be marked by him. We are his. We cannot lose that. You're not going to ever uh, falter or fail in that. Matter of fact, the, the awesome thing is, is you're never, ever, ever, ever even going to be tempted to leave what God is. But you and I experience that now. You, you know that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, and he told them in Romans chapter 1 the problem that's happening. In verse 20, he says, For the, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. He says, if you want to look around and see that there's a God, just, just take a few moments and take it all in. Look at the landscape. Look up and see the birds of the air. Look up and see the skies. Look up and all, look at all this. That, that all points to a creator. Verse 20 says, But for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking, they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And so he says, on earth you have people constantly exchanging the truth of God for lies. You have created things that are taking the place of the Creator. But in heaven, my friends, that will no longer ever be the case. The Creator will be all we need. 
and we will enjoy his presence. And that's what eternity is all about. As Charles Spurgeon said, this will be the greatest glory of heaven to know God, to know Jesus more intimately and wonderfully than we've ever could have on earth. It is the chief blessing of heaven. It's the cream of heaven, the heaven of heaven, that the saints shall there see Jesus face to face. That's the goal. And look there, verse 5, and there will be no more night. There's no more darkness at all. When Jesus is there, there is no more darkness. The sun does not shine simply because it shines. The reason that the sun and the sky right now shines is because it is created by God in all the splendor and his glory. If he didn't want it to shine, he could take it away in a mere moment. But it is through his glorious radiance that it even bestows light on us. But there's going to be a day where there is no more night. There are no more darkness. And spiritually and physically, it's all gone. And it's because of the person, the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what heaven is. And then in verse 5, it continues on. There won't be need for a light or of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give all of the light that we need. And they will reign forever and ever. Do you see that? And they will reign forever and ever. Like, you just read that and you're like, oh, that's awesome. We're going to reign forever and ever. No, no, no. Like, this is absolutely crucial. This may be the most amazing thing to me about all the Bible and even about today. Do you realize that, that God says we're going to reign forever and ever with him? And you're here and you're like, oh, I get that. That's fantastic. Awesome. No, no, no. Like, because I'm talking to you that you think the Bible's trivial. You go, I don't really know if I believe all this. I believe that that statement right there is actually one of the most essential pieces of the unity of the scriptures. Why? Because what God says in the scriptures is this, that those who believe in Jesus Christ will be restored to a Genesis chapter 1 and 2 covenant, that the Eden that Adam experienced will be the Eden that you and I experience one day in even a greater form and fashion. So basically, the way that it started will be the way that it ended. Now, you tell me, who can write that story? Only God. That the way that it started will be the way that it ended. That's an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. Matter of fact, let me just give you kind of the idea. Original Eden, new heaven, okay? Original Eden, here you go. Adam was a mortal man. You and I will be immortal with new glorified bodies. There was a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Here, there is simply, what? A tree of life. There was a deceiver here. There is no more deceiver here. He is cast in the lake of fire. Here, there was an appearance of God, but here, you need to see God face to face in all of his fullness. Sounds better, doesn't it? Adam's perfection over here depended on himself. Here, our perfection depends on the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Here, they are able not to sin. Here, there is no propensity or ability to sin. Here, you have a limited theology of God and His grace and His mercy. Here, you have a fullness of theology. You see all that God has done for you. Here, you have a curse of sin. And here, you have no more curse. Here, you have an old order of things. And here, you have all that's been made new. I think as C.S. Lewis concluded in... Um, the book, The Last Battle, heaven is simply this, this paragraph that I'm going to close with. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, speaking of Aslan, the great lion, the depiction of Christ. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot even write them. And for us, this, the end of all stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. 
All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Like you and I cannot even imagine what it's going to be like. And the awesome thing is that God didn't stop short of giving you a new glorified body and keeping you in the image that he created you in so that you can enjoy, that you could love fully, that you could laugh richly, that you could uh, abide in the presence of the glorious hope of Jesus Christ as the what? Wedding lamb. That you are the bride of Christ and that you're going to be what? Celebrating with the church. And so my question is, church, is this. How would people characterize you? They had two words. If it's something other than Christ follower, if it's great pastor, or if it's great businessman, or if it's angry husband, or absent father, bitter wife, then my prayer is that you would repent and that you would seek Jesus. And that you would prepare yourself, as Jesus said, to come as he's coming back for his church. And I believe wholeheartedly that the return of Christ is imminent. Paul wrote about it, and you go, well, Brandon, it's been 2,000 years. Well, let me explain something to you. Yes, it has, but the bottom line is, is it could be any day now. And my question is, are you ready? And you go, well, what do you mean am I ready? Well, here's the question. Do you realize that you are the church? And here's my confusing thing, and honestly, maybe my most frustrating thing as a pastor, honestly. This may be my and so confession. It baffles me to see the church. And I'm, I'm, I imagine it baffles the, the heavenly realms as well, maybe the angelic realm in some sense. But it baffles me to claim that we love God and that we desire God. And as the church, we're not even preparing ourselves for the ultimate hope of heaven, which is worshiping God for all of eternity. Like, do you realize? Like, this is simply practice. It's all it is. And we come in, and I'm like, we're just. I'm like, do I have to be here? Seriously? I'm tired of listening to this dude. And the bottom line is, no, you don't. You don't. But here's what I want you to understand. Maybe you're here for the first, maybe second, maybe third time at Stone Point Church. I don't know. Maybe you're, you're kind of critiquing it out. You're like, oh, is it a good fit? Do they have a good kids ministry or whatever? Can I just explain something to you? The mundane things that we oftentimes explore for in a church are not the real thing. The question is, is this. And this is the one question that you should look for and find in the church. Do they love and promote Jesus Christ? Do they worship him fully? Do they teach his word obediently? Because I'll tell you this, there is no perfect church. We are full of imperfect people. And the bottom line is this too. Our kids' ministry is not where it always needs to be. Our youth ministry is still progressing. Hey, we have so much work to do. Matter of fact, I'm sure there were so many flaws and mistakes. Even our check-in and our name tags didn't work today. But guess what? At the bottom line is, who cares? Because it does not matter when it comes to eternity's sake. And if you can grasp that and get your head around it, then I think maybe you've found home. But this is not home. This is mere what reflection of what home is going to be. And so my prayer is, is that you would take that today and do whatever it is that God encourages you to do with what you've heard today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that one day we are going to experience you and the new heaven and the new earth in all of its fullness. Like, I cannot wait for the day there's no more curse, that there's no more sickness, that there's no more hurting, that there's no more death, for the old order of things has passed away. We're going to have a perfect restoration. 
I can't wait for the day that the throne of God is in our midst and we have a perfect administration. We don't have to wonder, is our president going to do this or that? We don't have to worry about a Congress or a group of sinful men. They have their own agendas. Because we have a perfect administration. We have a king that never fails. I can't wait for the time where servants shall serve. Not because we have ill motives or agendas of our own, but Lord, we have a perfect subordination. Like we just want to love you and serve you. I can't wait for the day that we see your face, that it's no longer a mere reflection in the mirror, but we see a perfect transformation. I can't wait for the day that we're no longer deceived on this earth and that your name is written on our foreheads and we have a perfect identification in you. I can't wait for the day that there's no more darkness, no more need for a sun, no more moons, No more stars in the sky because you are the radiant light that we need. You are our perfect illumination. And Father, I can't wait to reign with you forever, to explore your character, to know more about your goodness and your grace. And all the things that the angelic realm is baffled about, we get to see it in all of its fullness, and it's the perfect exaltation. Lord, that sounds so great. To be very honest with you, it sounds so much better than what we're doing here. And Lord, I think so many of us, and even I will confess, that we have longed we have longed to stay here on this earth. And we've even begged, Lord, can, can you just let me see my grandkids? Can you just let me go on this vacation? Can you just let me get this job first? And the bottom line is, is that nothing in this earth ever, ever, ever compares to the riches of your glory. And so, Father, prepare us for glory. Prepare us for the day that we come home. In Jesus' name, amen.